April Fools. To celebrate my escape and his upcoming moments alone in the cabin, we decided on hosting a party promptly before the night departure by train nearby. It would come to be recognized as the choo-choo-coo-coo-going-away-going-insane party. Choo-choo is the sound a train makes. Coo-coo is the sound a person makes after spending too much time alone in a cabin violently shaking in front of a mirror. I would be going away for a while and he would become insane with extreme seclusion. We spared no expense and assured there would be no bust such as the failed fight weeks before. It's my last day here before my trip, though it feels like it's my last day here in Montana overall. I'll be back here in May. The weather felt incredible. A little cooler earlier this day, but the sun is beaming through the clouds now. For a moment, I stood on the railway soaking the fact that for more than a month, I can't have the silence that I can while being here. That same railway I've spent so much time on or around will soon lead me out on another adventure. The air will be different. For my simple entertainment, a dead tree had fallen while I sat upon a hill near Boyle Lake. I could only grin. I'm going to watch the sunset. Maybe the last sunset in quite a while. I'll probably have to admire it from town, though, so I don't miss my train. Later. It's less than minutes before I started cooking the spaghetti for our going away slash going insane party. Oliger, 4-2-2000. This morning slash afternoon, I plucked the guitar for a bit until Brad returned from somewhere. Then we tossed around the football in the yard. Much fun. At 5 p.m. we went in and I listened to old recordings as Brad gathered his luggage. I took my radio into the living room, and by 6 p.m., the choo-choo-coo-coo-going-away-going-insane party had begun. I started the fire for effect, it was warm today, and Brad made spaghetti, which we ate while playing sequence. Of course I lost. Oh well, I could have won had I played one card differently. At 7 p.m., we lugged Brad's luggage to the Aloha. The train was to leave at 9 p.m., but got pushed back to 9.50 p.m. Calms 4-2-2000 and there I stood for my departure at the terminal. The Whitefish Depot opened in 1928 with a charming exterior and the touch of a large mansion. With past foot travels to town on these same tracks, I unwittingly became a part of the web of railroads known as the Empire Builder with Amtrak. The route traversed from Chicago to Vancouver, Washington before changing names and directions. When the train arrived... I loaded what little baggage I possessed and departed westward into the darkness, passing through or past Suicide Squeeze, Whitefish Lake, the Butt Squeeze, Boyle Lake, Saltamontes Field, and the north end of our property where we had seen those decapitated bobcats a month before. The coming days were jam-packed, but unrelated to this memoir. Perhaps a different memoir is warranted to cover those exciting times, Instead, we will employ the journals from Big Sky to Big City from early April 2000 to mid-May 2000 to recap what transpired in the cabin while in my absence. Synopsis After months of wishing to leave Montana, Andy finds himself alone in the cabin for six weeks, betrayed by the one who had kept him there since the millennium. And now, Andy must grapple with cabin fever at a level that which he has never seen before but the weather outside is turning for the better, and his surroundings are coming back to life. 
is six weeks secluded in a cabin in Montana too long to be left alone with an unfinished painting that had been tormenting him all the while? Or will he rise above his hatred for painting and complete that oppressive project? Six Weeks of Hell Co-written by author and Mr. Slugversh Narrated by Mr. Slugversh Author's Note To narrate, we have brought in Mr. Slugversh from retirement. He is a narratorical specialist in the genres of horror and suspense. Hopefully, you will remember his brief, eccentric works earlier in this memoir, Untitled and Unfinished Story About Dudes Who Order Pizza. He also has controversial narrations from the works in The Origin of Diseased Friends. Without further ado, I give you Mr. Slugversh, narrating Andy's summarized experience in the cabin alone for six weeks from the period of April 2nd, 2000 until May 13th, 2000. Author's Note Warning the upcoming narration may contain graphic violence. Reader discretion is advised. Narrator's Note Thank you, sir, but call me Slugversh. That bone-chilling night that Andy dropped off Brad at the train station would be the last decision of his vile existence. Andy knew all too well that his days were numbered. The cabin stood so dark, shielding the rotting corpses stacked on the loft. He remained left alone in a cabin full of blood-sucking flies and bees. Yet, Andy was no stranger to violence and quickly eviscerated both their natural bodies and their souls. There would be no more bzz, bzz, bzz. The voices wailed in his head to draw his old roommate Brad, for he knew he would never see him again in this life or beyond. He would devote hours savoring the cryptic lines that fell from his pencil, illustrating both Brad's face and hell itself. But such tasks weren't enough to quash those pounding voices. He'd try making faces in the mirror, faces that fastened to mercy like a thirsty tick. The squishy walls closed in on him as blood rushed down from the ceiling. The stain that had been so delicately sprayed under the cabin's exterior turned into puke and sweat. His final days left him wondering what was a nightmare and what was reality, for he could no longer discern the two. The sunlight burnt his skin like bacon while he sat outside and chanted from his books of death and suffering. The incantations summoned six-foot ground squirrels, now rising from their harrowing tomb-like hibernaculum after months of decay in the ground. Their claws and teeth gnashed so razor-sharp. Their rotting flesh could only be extinguished by snow. Snow that would kill both the zombie squirrels, but Andy himself. He was now dead and still drifting throughout the cabin, free of his mortal soul. He quickly learned that not even death could stop an unfinished painting of Murray Lake from tormenting his soul. To elude the pain, he headed into town, exacting bloodlust for vulnerable souls. He soon preyed upon an elderly woman. She begged for mercy, muttering the words repeatedly, Tennessee, Tennessee, 
Tennessee over and over while he ate her flesh. He scowled to the sky to talk to God and offered up a cup of her blood. He referred to it as black cherry Kool-Aid and sipped so much of it himself that he could not help but notice his Kool-Aid gut. Author's note. I apologize for this gruesome narration. It might be advisable to substitute the remaining summarization by actually reading Andy's Big Sky to Big City from early April until mid-May for some sake of clarity. For the record, Andy had never died, but he pondered his death among ground squirrels due to a late snowfall. Most of the key events had some truth to them, less the horror and suspense. Unfortunately, if this is too horrific to read, you will need to skip past the next section. Mr. Slugverse is contracted for this entire segment, and the retirement has been hard on him, so he's very insistent. Narrator's note. It's Slugverse. Where were we? Andy revitalized and soon sledded recklessly, knowing he could not die again. He promptly became thirsty for human pain once more. His next victim would be the neighbor who had been plaguing his soul with lawyer eyes. The goober had his own set of eyes that stole the neighbor's words and soul. A three-foot centipede slithered from the man's mouth, and what remained were stuttered words and carnage. Andy became angrier and angrier, knowing he could not use the neighbor's blood for the white paint he would soon misuse and diabolically spill splash upon his rotting painting and face. He would take a knife, dripping of paint, and stab into the canvas like a sacrifice to the cabin gods. A stab painting like no other. No amount of violent mirror shaking, private dancing, and maniacal toothbrushing could free him of the stench of enamel on an unfinished mat. He would soon drift to Murray Lake, where hundreds of souls had drowned and came upon an unsuspecting couple, muttering only two words the entire time. He slaughtered them heinously and diced their flesh into forty-two pieces. The demonic dogs could only watch with their glowing red eyes and bark in pain and suffering and vomit. There was puke, so much puke. No sooner could he stuff those forty-two pieces of flesh into Brad's clothing, braced up on a blood-soaked couch in the cabin. He would pose with the rotting dummy for Easter and covered the maggoty face with a high school senior picture transposed upon it to camouflage both the pain and cover up the heinous crime, leaving behind no evidence. With enough blood and sacrifice, his soul released to finish the painting of Murray Lake that cost so many lives in its finality. He would scorch the bodies in a towering inferno to celebrate, leaving a charred stench in the air for miles. Much to Andy's horror, Brad's soul had returned from a violently exploding train and now roamed the cabin alongside Andy with his desolate spirit. Author's Note that concludes the segment intended for mature audiences only. Once again, very sorry for the horrific content. Andy lived, 
no one would perish, and he had actually composed himself magnificently and only stabbed the fire in anger. Unfortunately, he felt compelled to make an Easter card with a dummy made of my clothing. The mysterious contents of the stuffing remain unsolved.